You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Good morning. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. As has already been mentioned, I am Pete. For those who were here last week, I'm the guy who notices who accidentally suggested you go to... Ooh, with a bit of music background. I'm the guy who notices last week who accidentally suggested you use the toilets. No, wait. You use the corner as a toilet. Don't do that. Toilets are down the road. But for those who don't know me, hi, I'm Pete. I've been a part of this church now for about six years. I'm married to Emma and I head up this... Yeah, yeah, Emma's great. And uh, she is great. That sounded sarcastic. She is wonderful. I love her deeply. And uh, I have the joy as well of leading the student ministry here at MV. Um, This morning, I have the real joy and privilege to be speaking to you a little bit about how we, as Manchester Vineyard, are invited into being part of a spiritual family together. And as we continue this new series into in invitation, how it is that we can step into that and how we are invited into that family. But before I say any more, let's start with a bit of scripture. Today we're going to be reading from Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50, and it says this. While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. He replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of the Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I adore this church. I love what Jesus has already done and will continue to do here. And there have been so many moments in my time here at MV where I've just gone, Yep, these are my people. I remember when I first moved up to Manchester, I'd just finished university, the church was, was one year old at that time, and I knew I wanted to come and be part of it. But moving to a new city and about to start an unpaid charity internship didn't exactly open up what I would call many financially viable living opportunities. But for that first year I was here finding my feet, many of you kindly opened up your homes to me, some for just a few weeks, some for even months, on just letting me stay with you. And this was also the year I kindly started to teach myself a little bit of guitar, which for those who don't know, when you're trying to learn to play guitar and sing, it it can be a bit interesting. So I know those who let me in to your homes had to endure quite a lot. But yet you did this with such kindness and generosity towards me that it meant that that season of this church, it gave me the space just to get on my feet and to settle into this amazing city. Or there was that time during COVID where restrictions had just lifted enough to allow us to meet people socially distanced in our gardens. And so on that first evening, Emma and I went over to one of your houses into your outdoor garden and we just had a meal together. And despite the weather forecast saying that it was only about 13% chance of rain, about an hour into our meal, the heavens opened and it just chucked it down. And in true Manchester fashion, it really didn't stop. But because it was COVID, we couldn't just go inside. So we were just sat outside, swaddled in blankets that had long gone past their total water saturation point. Food left on plates now overflowing with rainwater. And we just chatted and we laughed because we just so missed being together. And let me tell you, those are just two stories of many that I could share in the last six years I've been part of this church. 
where I've just been so blessed and loved, and I've just gone, man, I love Jesus. I love this church. I love these people. These are my people. I remember reading uh, this story in Matthew during that COVID period of life and being reminded again that this type of community that Jesus is talking about is right here. Our people are right here. Our family are right here. And we get the joy of stepping into that and delighting in it. We're right here in this room. It's all of you. So this morning, oh, actually, how often? I don't think we actually fully understand the significance of what it means to be family, what we're being invited into, why is it important, and how do we even do it well? So this morning, we're just going to consider the community that Jesus calls us into. We're going to look at what exactly that community is that God calls us to be, how we become part of that community, why is it important, and finally, a few practical ways that we can best be that community. So firstly, what sort of community does God call us to be? Well, let's go back into that passage in Matthew again. And I want you to imagine for a moment what it must have been like for Jesus' actual brothers. I mean, they're brothers. They grew up with Jesus. But by this time in the story, they're really confused and don't really know who or what Jesus is. They were kids, then teenagers, then adults, and then at some point, Jesus leaves. And the next, they hear he's gone and got baptized by their weird cousin, John. And then after that, they then hear of some more bizarre stuff. People are being healed. Demons are being cast out. The blind receive sight. Next, they hear that their brother has gathered up some odd friends, and they're going everywhere together. And then, to tip it all off, they start hearing that Jesus has been having some pretty heated discussions with some of the local religious leaders, these holy men who are the most learned and upright in society. He's even calling them names, brood of vipers. If you're Jesus' brother at that point, you're probably getting a little worried. Indeed, it even says in Mark's gospel, just before this passage, that Jesus' family thought he was out of his mind. So then, as his brother... And with other members of the family, they decide enough is enough. It's time to go and see him and have some words. They find where he's hanging out. It's probably not hard. Wherever he goes, a crowd seems to go. And then you get to the place, and you ask to speak with him. And you're waiting outside when you hear Jesus' reply, Who is my mother, and who are my brothers? Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. What is he saying? What does it mean? They are his brothers. They are his family. And he won't even come out and see them. And even more confusingly, he's saying those other people who don't even know him, they are his family? What must it been like in that moment for Jesus' family to hear that? Now, imagine what it must have felt like for the disciples in the room this small group of guys from various backgrounds, educations, upbringings, who have been following Jesus for just a short while now. And they're all wrestling with who Jesus is themselves, trying to understand this man. Is he crazy? Is he a prophet? Is he God? And then when his own family come to him, he doesn't go out to them, but points at his disciples and calls them brothers, likening them to his own blood family. This short passage I think carries significance and power. 
even by the fact that this scene is mentioned in three of the four Gospels, shows its significance. And I think emphasizes the radical thing that Jesus is saying. Jesus risks offending his own blood family to make an important point. And it's this. We are invited to be a family. To those who do the will of the Father, and by that Jesus means whoever follows him becomes part of his family. Jesus uses this opportunity to profoundly change what the family unit was defined as before this context, as beyond simply through blood. It's important to recognize that this isn't Jesus saying his blood family are not significant, but rather he's saying there is something more that is available to us, a spiritual family that goes beyond blood and relation. This would have been massive in the culture of the day, where family and heritage were vital to the Jewish faith. It held prestige, security. It was binding. Yet Jesus breaks from tradition and invites us into a new spiritual community, not bound by blood or marriage, but a community of Jew and Gentile, married and single, male and female, slave and free. But how do we join this family? Jesus tells us here, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We are to accept and follow the Father. In Romans 8, verses 14 to 15, it states it like this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. When we accept Jesus as Lord and welcome his Holy Spirit into our lives, we are adopted into his family. All of us who are in this church, and indeed in churches across the globe, who have have accepted Jesus as Lord of our lives, are called adopted children of God, sons and daughters of God. We are united together as a family of brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, grandfathers and grandmothers. For many of us here, at some point, we said yes to Jesus. And when we did that, though we might not even have realized it, we all got adopted into the same family, not just as some club or group of mates. That means we have family in this room, in this city, across this nation, around the world. What sort of community does Jesus invite us to be? He invites us into family. And how do we become part of that family? By accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. But that's all well and good. You might say, what's the point? Why does it matter? We are all part of a family rather than simply friends or part of a club, but what difference does that make? And this is an important question because I think many of us here, particularly those who perhaps aren't necessarily new to Jesus, will have probably heard language or rhetoric around being a family. But I think the problem often comes not in us accepting that we are family, But we need to understand the significance of that, why being part of a family makes a difference. Because when we understand the why, we can truly grasp the gift that it is. So why is being family important? Firstly, because it helps us understand the level and extent of love, care, and affection we are to have for one another. There is a beautiful verse in Romans that speaks into this. And it's in Romans 12, verse 10, and it says this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. I also love how the ESV translation puts it. 
love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. When we look at that word love here in this, in this verse, it helps us understand the power of what Paul is writing and what is being asked of us as a family. This Greek word used in this verse for love appears just once in the Bible here, philostorgos. It combines two of the four Greek words for love. The first is philos, from the Greek word philia, which is seen throughout Scripture and describes an all-encompassing, sweeping love, one of compassion and respect, much like a deep friendship. Then we have the second part of the Greek word for love, storgos, which comes from the Greek word storge, which is more of a natural family love, a powerful bond such as what a parent might have for a child. Together, they demonstrate a powerful, tender love and affection, one of formidable friendship but combined with a special, unending devotion to each other as between close family. That is the love we are asked to have for one another as family in this church. We are to have a love for one another that goes beyond simply niceties and pleasantries. We're to have a deep, profound, zealous love for each other, one that has power and fortitude and longevity, that doesn't simply come and go with mood or energy levels, but is enduring and strong. And then we have the second part of this verse in Romans, outdo one another in showing honor. I love it. It feels almost like a competitive command, which for anyone who has played rounders with me at the weekend away will know I'm not adverse to a little competition. Apologies again to some who I, I got out, even though were kids. Um, <laughs> but here, this command to go and love each other with power and strength and devotion, serve each other unendingly again and again, each time they've loved, you just go on and try and surpass it. And I don't mean like if someone buys you a chocolate bar, then you have to go buy two for them. It's love in a way that Christ demonstrated, a sacrificial love, a love that seeks to honor and raise up each other passionately and relentlessly, constantly preferring the other above ourselves. Can you imagine if that was our heart for one another? To just always be trying to love each other better and better, sacrifice and care for the other with unending devotion? When we put that sort of love in that light, it helps us understand what Jesus says to his disciples at the Last Supper in John 13, 34, where he says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Imagine being recognized as a church, as people who just so loved each other, as a family that just so longed to love its brothers and sisters so powerfully and relentlessly that people would look to us and go, wow, they must be from Manchester Vineyard because look at how they love each other. That's the love of a spiritual family that we should show to one another. That's why being called a family helps us understand the love and care and adoration we are called to give each other because it's from that place of love that all our actions come from. It means we act when a student is struggling to make ends meet. It means we act when our friend is unwell. It means we act when someone has a job promotion and deserves being celebrated. It means we act when we hear of someone's mental health struggles. 
We know that love is so much more than a feeling. It's a, it's a doing word. And if we love like the way we're told to love our brothers and sisters in this church, then we fulfill and embody the love that Christ asks for us. Why is it important to understand that we're called to be a family? Well, firstly, because it helps us understand the type of love and affection and action we are to show one another. Secondly, when we're a spiritual family, we are fulfilling a God-designed feature of humanity. If we go back to Genesis and the creation of the world, God has created Adam, but he sees that it's not good for him to be alone. To combat that, God first creates animals. However, these weren't suitable for him. Finally, God creates woman. And so the first suitable community was born. This is a famous passage for informing our understanding of marriage, but it also speaks to another core part of our humanity, mankind's wider need for community and family. Community together is integral to our DNA. It's woven into our very creation, and it's not suitable for us to be alone. I think it's because God created us like this that we are at our strongest and at our best when we are like this. So that's so often one of the most common ways I also think the enemy tries to get at us is through whispering lies that ultimately seek to pull us away from this family. Have these thoughts ever occurred to you? Why would they want to spend time with me? Oh, but I'm just so annoying, but I'm no fun. People will have a better time if I'm not there. But do people actually like me? What if I say the wrong thing? But they're not in my age, life stage, or where I'm from, so they wouldn't want to be with me. I don't have good chat. Nobody would even care or notice if I wasn't there. Perhaps some of you here have been deeply hurt by your own earthly families, and therefore the thought of stepping into one here causes genuine fear or distress. Perhaps other thoughts are whispered into your ear. Why would this family be any different? If we entertain these lies and fears, no matter how genuine the root cause, it can become so easy to be drawn into a place of emotional, spiritual, and even physical loneliness and self-isolation. The long-term damage makes it no surprise that it's such a regular and common tactic of the enemy with links to both physical and mental health issues, including depression, alcohol, drug misuse, increased stress, and heart disease, just to name a few. In recent years, many nations have started saying we're facing a loneliness epidemic, with loneliness globally on the rise. In the UK in 2016, one in 10 people reported that they did not have a single friend to rely upon. In 2020, that rose up to one in eight. In 2018, the UK, as a way to tackle this problem, appointed a minister for loneliness. Can we just pause for a moment and reflect on that fact that the issue of loneliness has become such a problem in this country that we have a minister appointed to tackle it? We need to remember that God created us as communal beings. There is a world out there, and very likely people in this room, who need a family more than ever. And it's because God created us to be that way. And when we recognize that, we are able to be a family together. We recognize that we're tapping into the very core of how God made us to be. Being part of a spiritual family is important because it gives us the context to love. And secondly, because it's how we were created to be. Thirdly, when we're a spiritual family, we provide the best environment for our relationship with Jesus to grow and flourish. There are three areas that as a community we can do this. Through support and encouragement, 
correction and accountability and in mission. First, support and encouragement. When we take the rightful place as brothers and sisters, it releases a depth of support and encouragement which allows us to fight through life's hardships and grow closer to the Father. There's a powerful story from the book of Exodus in chapter 17 where the Israelites have been freed from Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea and they're wandering the desert. Then suddenly an army attacks the Israelites and Moses goes upon a hill. And as long as he holds his arms up, the Israelites are successful. However, when his arms fall, they start losing. As Moses' strength fails, he requires the help of two men, Aaron and Hur, to help keep his hands raised until the Israelites are successful. In life, there are times when we are in the place of Moses, who needed the help of his brothers to hold his arms high. In other times, we need to be like Aaron and Hur, standing in that place, helping make sure the arms are held high until victory comes. We need to be willing to carry the load sometimes, step up when one of our family is struggling, and recognize that we have a role to play in this. Last year, I was quite suddenly made redundant. And to those of you who have had a similar experience, you'll know it really hurts. Those first few days, I found myself fighting against fears of the future, wrestling with self-doubt, questioning myself to my very core. But also, one of the beautiful things that came out of it was how so many of you cared and supported Emma and I. The day I found out some of the first people I reached out to were my church family. You cared for me in my lowest, inviting Emma and I round to process and pray, often eating some well-needed, good, delicious food. Some of you read job applications for me. Many of you made space to check up on me. One of the primary ways I saw God move during that time was through so many of you. You held me up when at times I feel like I didn't have it in me and my hands were starting to tire. We all have a role to play to support and encourage one another regularly. And when we do this, we help each other stay on the path with Jesus, even when things are tough. To allow each other's relationships with Jesus to stay strong and resist the temptations that this world might offer in those moments when we are weakest. Next, correction and accountability. One of the best places to receive loving correction and accountability is from within our spiritual family. I am not... Saying that means you now all suddenly go up and make lists of each other's faults and issues and just go up to each person and let it rip because frankly the cue for myself would put the queen to shame. No, this is about helping us become more like Jesus. And often the hardest place to start is with ourselves and not with others. Ask yourself, am I allowing people to speak into my life? Am I actually part of this community where people know me today? Do they know me and how I am right now? Do I have people here who I've welcomed into my life and who I trust to lovingly challenge me? Do those people even know that they're those people I want to speak into my life? If someone hasn't done that with you, I'd caution and say you're probably not the person to challenge them and to trust that they have people around them who know them and love them enough to share the hard truths. When done well and with a heart full of the love mentioned earlier, then this is the place to wrestle with the parts of our lives that need wrestling with. Because it's done with total openness and help with each other that helps us become more like Jesus. Lastly, getting on the mission field. How many of you have heard the phrase, the best way to learn something is by doing it? 
I often use it when introducing friends to a new board game that I've secretly been studying for days so I can kick their butt and pretend it's just my innate impressive gaming ability. But when not simply applied to my questionable board game ethics, it's also used when we are a spiritual family. And one of the best ways we can grow in our relationship with Jesus is by getting out on the mission field together. When Jesus sent out his disciples in Mark 6 and Luke 9, he didn't send them out alone. He sent them out in twos. Now, there could be many reasons for that. But one of them, I think, is because there is a power and confidence and bravery that comes when doing this stuff together. And what happened with those disciples? Demons were cast out. The sick were healed. The gospel was preached. Jesus even says that he saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Have you ever wondered why Jesus didn't just do his ministry on his own? Honestly, I, I sometimes read the Gospels and I just think, surely Jesus, you could have gone further, done more miracles, saved more people, made more wine, multiplied more bread if he didn't have these disciples weighing him down. But then I, I'm missing the point. There are many reasons I think Jesus had his disciples, but one of the reasons I think was to model something to us. God's mission done well means doing it together. And when it's done together, we grow closer to him and we see more of him at work. Being a spiritual family is important because it gives the context to love, because it's how we were created to be, and also because it's the best environment for us to grow in our relationship with Jesus through support and encouragement, correction and accountability, and they're getting on the mission field together. So we've looked at the what. We've looked at the why, and finally, before we finish, we need to consider the how. How can we practically go away today with a clearer idea of just a few ways we can more, be more like the family Jesus invites us to be? Much of what I'm going to share here comes from the beautiful passage of the early church in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47, which actually, if you want to hear more on that specifically, Pascal gave an epic talk on this January last year. Go Go give it a listen, it's excellent. But here are just a few things that I think if we all just went away and took one of these, we could greatly impact both ourselves and also the lives of those around us here. Firstly, you need to show up. I know, profound. But still, it's something that can easily be forgotten. Now hear me out, being part of a church isn't like keeping a streak on Duolingo. It's, it's not about simply turning up but it's a really good place to start. And I know many of you here will have reasonable, understandable, maybe even challenging reasons to why even just turning up is hard. And I know I'm stood here and I'm aware of that. I'm aware that you may be thinking, but he doesn't know, he doesn't know my story. I get it. Please hear my heart. This is not to diminish your story or journey right now. But I want you to know that right here is a family wanting to love you, support you, cherish you, and point you towards Jesus. But no relationships can grow without time together. Emma and I spent two and a half years of our relationship long distance, most of which was me here in Manchester whilst Emma studied in Nottingham. And whilst at times that was hard, one of the best things it forced us to do was choose to prioritize each other, to make space for one another, to show up for each other, and then keep on choosing each other. I'm not sure I'd be here with a wedding ring on my finger if it wasn't for that. The same principle applies to family here. If we want to be family together, we need to show up. 
be here on a Sunday. Make it to your small group. We've even, we've even got a whole weekend away planned together in May. I bet you'll notice the difference. Secondly, we need to learn to be open with each other. Anybody here not a fan of small talk? Now, I, I do, I do think there is a place for small talk and just casual conversation. In fact, sometimes it can actually be just really quite pleasant. You know, like, small talk is actually often really important if you're new. It's light, it's really easy, it's a nice way for people just to feel comfortable in a new space with new people. And maybe for those of you who don't know, I am a massive F1 fan. And many of you might have experienced the the, the chats of me going through every, every race and explain why Lewis Hamilton is the greatest of all time, because he is. Um, but if you take something, no, don't take that away. There's more, there's far better stuff. But if that was all I did, if that was all I talked about, sure, you'd, you'd know I'm an F1 fan. Maybe you'd get on the F1 hype train. It's quite a ride. But you're not going to know me if we're to enjoy the gift of a community, it requires allowing ourselves to be open with people, letting our guard down, and trusting those around us. Jesus did this all the time with his disciples, where he'd get away from the crowds with them, and he'd open up and share deep, profound truths with them. Here at MV, we talk a lot about small groups. But small groups are often the perfect place to go and be open in a safe loving and wholesome environment filled with people who, assuming you turn up, want to know you and build a deeper relationship with you and Jesus. Some of you here, for various reasons, might find that hard. I'm arguably the opposite way. You often just can't shut me up. But trust me, whether you find this easy or hard, when you allow yourself to be open with this family, yes, it risks being hurt. And we're human. It might happen. But the reward of going deeper is so worth the risk. The joy and love and affection I have for so many of you here is largely because I've chosen to be open and share my life with you, my real life. And in return, many of you have done the same with me. And through that, we have known a deeper level of connection and blessing than I could have ever have done if I'd never got off the topic of F1. And I really like F1. The third thing. We need to be open with our space. Someone once made the really obvious point that Jesus was the most hospitable person to ever walk this earth. And yet, he did it without ever owning a house or renting a space. In fact, Jesus often invited himself over to other people's houses on some occasions. Just, just look at the story of Zacchaeus. It says in Luke 19 that Zacchaeus was up a tree, and then Jesus looked up and says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. How many of us, if I did that to you, would just probably be a bit offended and maybe find me a bit rude? And I think it's, that would be kind of understandable. Now, I, I appreciate that Zacchaeus was doing this with the living God, slightly different to if I, if I just invited myself over. But we need to be people who are more open with our space because you never know the encounters you might have or the impact that such kindness and generosity could have. I'm not here saying you suddenly need to invite every man and his dog round into your home or that your home can't be a safe place to rest and recharge. However, the impact that can be had on someone by inviting them into your space, whether that be for food, board games, films, 
Maybe it's not where you live, but a beloved park you walk around or a, a cafe or a pub you so enjoy visiting. Those sort of heartfelt gestures can make someone feel so welcomed because you make space. For a short while, you make your space their space. The fourth thing, eating together. Eating together is biblical. Thank you, Jesus. Through, through scripture, there are constant moments where meal times have had some form of significance. There's the Passover meal, Jesus feeding the 4,000, Jesus feeding the 5,000, the Last Supper, the miraculous catch of a fish by the disciples, which led to a seaside meal, manna from heaven. There's loads. Wherever you go in scripture, food and meal times play a significant role, sometimes for miracles and teachings, other times simply for bonding and relational growth. In Acts 2, where it briefly describes this early thriving church in Jerusalem in 46, verse 46, it says this, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor of all the people. Doesn't that just sound wonderful? Eating with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. Now, I'm not saying it was the food that did that. And I don't think I've ever had a meal that made me cry out and praise God, though, as mentioned earlier, the food at the welcome dinner is pretty darn good. However, this picture, I think, perfectly illustrates the power that eating food together can have. We often feel more at ease, more comfortable. In fact, the process of eating releases the hormone dopamine, a feel-good chemical. How good is our God that even, he even designed food to make us feel good? Here at MV, we intentionally make space to eat food together regularly, whether that's celebrating our birthday with pies or our welcome dinners. In students, we eat um, lunch together once a month. And that's not even forgetting our church's arguably unhealthy obsession with McDonald's. But we do, we do it all for a reason. There's something about food that brings us together. And we need to be a family that not only creates those mealtime opportunities, but also a people who says yes to those times. You'd be amazed at the bonding that can happen over a chicken legend and McFlurry after a Sunday service. Amen. The fifth thing, we need to have fun together. I'm going to make this short and sweet. The best families and communities aren't those who just open up to each other, who come together, open their space, and eat food together. It's those where genuine fun is had. Sometimes that's organized fun. At MV, we have a regular men's five-a-side football team or a women's dance fitness class. But other times, it's just finding time just to, to let the joy of the Lord be present in a real way. Play those games. Make those jokes. Laugh together. Make fun plans together. Emma recently went with two friends and their toddlers to a soft play center. And when she came home, she had the biggest grin on her face. And we don't even have children. But because she was invited into that environment by friends who are like family, it was precious and it was fun. Church has some deep, powerful, important stuff to tackle. But Jesus also knew how to enjoy a party. We need to be a people who do the same. Bring the joy, bring the fun, and delight in it together. The last important thing I want to mention is to also acknowledge that this community, no matter how it's significant is not the ultimate answer to all our problems this family is is made up of humans we will let each other down and we will disappoint each other and it's it's not actually right or fair to expect perfection thankfully there is someone who will never let you down and will always be there 
It's, it's Jesus. This family can teach us about him, point us towards him, help us be more like him. But ultimately, we're not him. Let's make sure that we keep the main thing, the main thing. Church isn't God, but Jesus is. So, ultimately, where do we go from here? What does that mean for us here and now? Well, from where I see it, I think there's ultimately two things for all of us to consider. And that's stepping up or stepping in. Many of us here today, you, you know you're in this family. You're committed. You're in. So you're ultimately trying to make sure this place is one you're part of and others too can be part of. However, consider today, what would it look like to make that next step up which might impact you? Or perhaps someone else to be further welcomed, loved, and discipled in this family. Where might Jesus be nudging your heart? It could be a personal spiritual step to this um, personal spiritual step where you allow Jesus in in those areas that are tempting you to step back or step to the side. It may be that God is putting someone on your heart here who you know you could love and welcome in as a brother or sister. Perhaps it's something mentioned earlier which you know you could take away and press into and practically apply. What might it look like today if all of us went away and just said, what little change could I make this week so that myself and others feel more loved and welcomed and part of this family? Then there might be some of us here today who need to step in to this invitation for family. And I think there are likely two kinds of step-ins, if you will. There may be some of, of us here who perhaps might think they've already stepped in. Well, I'm, I'm here on a Sunday here and there. Well, I'm, I'm sort of in a small group, which I've been to once or twice in the last few months. Well, this is the church I tell my friends I'm attending. But that's kind of it. You attend this place. You don't really feel part of it. You might look around you, but the reality is, is this community, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like family yet. And if you think about it, it's not because it's not here with arms open wide. It's because you know you haven't quite stepped into it. So don't dip your toe. I know it initially can seem scary. There's, there's people here you don't yet know. It's out of your comfort zone. It's possibly not natural for you to actually have a loving family who genuinely and deeply cares for you. But it's a free gift that here in Manchester Vineyard you are invited into. Why would you dip your toe when you can go all in and meet some of the greatest, most fun, most chaotic, most joyful, most wise, most loving, most caring, and often the most insane people you will ever meet? Maybe this step in might be something practical, like truly making small group a weekly priority and getting to know those people, or throwing caution to the wind and, and signing up to the weekend away, However, maybe it's more personal. Maybe it's learning to be vulnerable and stepping beyond the small talk and into the deeper places with those around you. And you've just got to trust that we'll be kind and gentle and loving. My honest suggestion is if you're in that place, I dare you to commit to small group and just see what week in, week out community does to the heart. Equally, there might also be people who are in and fully in, but maybe you just still don't feel like you don't have that depth of connection you've heard described here this morning, and you know in your heart you're built for it. If that's you, 
Can I just ask that you do one more thing and be brave and, and tell someone? Maybe your small group leader, that'll be a great person to have that conversation with. Or, or a trusted friend here in NV, but please, please have that conversation. And lastly, you may be sat here in the room, and the thing is, is that you've never thought of us as a family because you've never met the father who is true head and creator of this family. I love that Sue's felt really, really prompted to share that at the end of worship. And Thomas mentioned it as well. You could be here and you've never actually said to Jesus, I want to be in. There is a God who says, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. You don't need all the answers. You don't need to have your life together. The reality is, I don't think anybody does. We're all on a journey with Jesus and we're all in different stages and places in it. You could start your journey right here this morning. And if that's you, all you need to do is acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior. Acknowledge that you're not perfect and that your ways won't bring you true life and turn to the one who does bring true life and be welcomed into this family. In a second, if that's you and you haven't accepted Jesus yet, we're gonna make space for the Holy Spirit to move. And when everyone is standing, you can come to the front and someone will pray with you. If that seems a bit nerve wracking, then maybe you could just pop to the sides or, or to the back of the room. Or even if that's a bit much, just, just, just nudge, just nudge the person next to you and, and just ask if they might pray with you. If you do that, then, then please let someone with a, with a lanyard know because afterwards, We'd love to welcome you in with a few gifts because what's family without a few presents here and there? Is this family perfect? No. But thankfully, the head of this family is and he died for you so that you might know him and be accepted into his loving arms and he whispers to you, welcome home. Today, do you need to step up? Do you need to step in? Or perhaps, do you need to step in for the very first time. Let's stand. For those, um, for those who are new, we're just gonna make some space. We're just gonna make some space for the Holy Spirit to move. There might be something today that just, just kind of resonates. Something that, um, something that was spoken this morning and I felt really put on my heart um, was that there could well be people in this room where family or previous church families have actually really, really hurt them. And so there's, there's maybe a fear or, or worry or a wall that's stopping you from, from stepping in. And if that's you, I really, really encourage you to come, come and, and let us pray with you. Let us, let us stand alongside you so you can lay that, that pain at the feet of the cross, at the feet of Jesus. Yeah, it really feels evident that the Holy Spirit is moving this morning. Just as Pete was speaking, it was almost like there was kind of drops coming into the room where people were just, just being stirred or experiencing something of the Spirit. So I think the Lord wants to do a number of things today. Um, as Pete was already saying, I think there are people here with sort of 
um, wounds or hurt from family, church family, kind of their actual families. Um, and the Lord just really wants to minister to that, meet you in that. Um, yeah, and bring moments of breakthrough and comfort and peace and all of those things. And I think there'll be people here that when people start talking about openness and authenticity, that's something that's really scary for you. That's something you really struggle with. And I think the Lord's inviting you to, to do that with him and allow someone to come alongside you um, and minister and pray for you as almost like your first step of a moment of intimacy, a moment of authenticity. Authenticity. Um, and the other one was, Pete spoke a lot about love and how we're to be a family that sacrificially love one another. And I think there'll be people in the room that have been stirred by that and they just want to grow in love. They want to be more loving to their neighbours, their friends, their church, their family, all of it. They just long for more of Jesus' love to flow through you into the, the world around you. And that is Jesus' business. That's what he wants to do. So... Today would be an amazing time to just get prayer for that as well. A lot has been said some words have been shared. If there is anything that you would like to receive prayer for, it could be something that's been, been shared by Hetel or myself. It, it could be anything that you just, I just, I just really want to pray. I just really want to receive prayer. I really encourage you just to, to come forward and we'd love to stand alongside you and pray with you. Whilst people are standing, why, why don't you do that now and just come forward and we can stand with you and pray with you. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.